Welcome to the Bend ICOC podcast, where we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Don't forget to leave us a review and a rating, and thank you very much for listening. As I said, Nehemiah chapter 2, that's where we're jumping in this evening. You can turn your Bibles over there. You know, I reflect on vision. I, I want to be a little transparent tonight on where I've struggled with vision in the past, but also what I think about it right now. And in the past, moving out to Bend, man, I was praying and fasting and Holy Spirit give me this grand vision for the church that I wanted so much. But all I could really come to and all I could really repeat that summer was, hey, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 12. Let's walk as he walked, 1 John 2. And let's have the same mindset as Christ to Jesus, which comes out of Philippians chapter 2. Let's just try to be as much like Jesus as possible. In short, boy, what we, what we have right on our church cards, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Following him, learning to become like him, committed to Jesus' kingdom mission. As we talked about in our, our One Another series, that simultaneously confirms our identity as disciples, and it challenges us to, to live the vision, to live Jesus's vision, and to refine that, to contextualize it to our life, to answer our calling and the overflow of his love. But the more I, I've reflected on that vision, I, yes, it's our identity, but it is so good to have our identity as part of the vision for the vision to not only be aspirational because if it's only aspirational or only about the next thing we're going to do, then sometimes a vision could become a long to-do list. And then as disciples, sometimes we could get in a headspace where we do evangelism or we go on a mission team or we do prayer, or we do discipleship, or do benevolence, but no, disciples of Jesus are disciple makers. Disciples of Jesus are evangelistic. Disciples of Jesus are missionaries. Disciples of Jesus are people of prayer, people of fasting, people of love. And, and that's why I love having our identity being part of the vision both confirming who we are in Christ and growing in Christ. But there's a saying out there, this is where I've been weak with it, vision leaks, that's why you have to mention it every six weeks. I'm sure some minister thought of that rhyme. <laughs> but vision needs to be repeated. We just talked about how it could be January 33rd today. We all wish there's some more time in January. We're actually coming up on the sixth week of the year already. That's how fast time goes by. Six weeks from now, hey, that'll be, I'm bad at math, March 17th, somewhere around in there. Vision needs to be repeated because vision leaks. I think our love leaks, just our, our love for the lost, our love for Jesus. Things leak. We need to go back to them. And I knew this with vision because when we, wrote up that vision statement and you know we had that vision workshop early on in the living room at the maze house that one fall and we're all putting sticky notes up on the whiteboard and we're talking about hey should this be our vision statement and i asked a lot of people in the church about a month later hey what do you think of our vision and they said what vision <laughs> and even madison um didn't know what i was talking about so i said okay if my 
you know, I, I kind of failed then. If my wife doesn't know, then I really got to refine this and repeat this. And that's the thing about vision. I think it should always be refined. Plans, they're always changing. They're always going to change. They're going to change again and again in 2021, as they did in 2020. But vision shouldn't change. Vision should just be refined and contextualized, I believe. So Nehemiah chapter 2, that's what we're doing tonight, refining. I haven't refined or repeated enough. Nehemiah chapter 2 says this. And I'll start in the latter half of verse 1. He says, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Nehemiah shares the need that he sees here. He goes to God in prayer. Then he asks the king if he can go meet the need. It's his vision, his calling. But I imagine the temptations Nehemiah would have had. You know, maybe this is a vision I don't need to proclaim or put out there or refine or repeat. I think our vision will always be threatened by returning to the status quo rather than rising to meet the needs of our calling, to meet the needs of our community. You know, it mentions there, Nehemiah was afraid, very afraid to speak to the king about this. And vision can be a thing that we're very afraid of at times. The scope of the vision for Nehemiah, the demands of the vision for Nehemiah, they're immense. He was heartbroken for the need of his vision, compelled to meet the need, enough so that he resisted the comfort of not mentioning the vision, of not asking the king, resisted the comfort of continuing on as normal. And Nehemiah, he's losing sleep over this vision. He's agonizing over it. It's bringing tears to his eyes. People around him can see it consuming him. Physically, it's written on his face. It's, it's exhausting him as he makes the journey over to Jerusalem. It's requiring great faith and action of him. So much so that everyone around him can see it. They can see it written on his face. The king asks him, hey, what's going on? What can I do for you? It's how palpable his vision was coming off. I think that status quo, you know, and I think, all right, there, there's Jesus's vision, right? And we speak about that a lot, but man, what's Satan's vision? <laughs> what would his counter vision be? And I think Satan wants to work in the status quo, the status quo of the world, Hey, just go back to, to being like the world. You see that return in scripture. You know, for, for Satan, that's not seeking discipleship, not being missional. It's taking our eyes off of Jesus, returning to our worldly self, our false self, no longer being transformed to become like him, no longer being set free to see his kingdom come. When we start following that vision, Satan's vision, 
going away from Jesus, we start denying our identity in the vision. We start sounding like atheists. We say things like, God can't use me. I can't do that. I can't meet those needs in my community. We deny the power of the cross right there. But Jesus has a vision for each and every one of us. The status quo will always threaten to replace that vision. And vision will always be challenged, I think, as we saw in 2020, by crisis management. And we got to take care of those things. But vision needs to be refined and repeated. In 2021, we want to deal with those things that derail our vision. You know, we, we want to address those things. We want to repeat our vision. The things that take our eyes off Jesus. The things that can entangle us. Like I said, visions don't change. They're refined, but plans are revi- plans change. Plans are always changing. Nehemiah was all in for his vision and more, more so tonight, we're going to start to talk about some plans to contextualize this vision. But Nehemiah was all in. There's an intentionality, right? Vision doesn't just bubble up organically by chance, and then we, we give it some thought. You know, I, I mentioned it. I mentioned it a couple of years ago at a workshop in the fall, and then one day the vision will come about. Some time will pass, and the vision will be complete, and sooner or later... We'll stop calling ourselves missionaries on a planting and we'll say, hey, look, where things are changing, we'll just stop using those terms. Vision doesn't work that way. You don't, man, when you do it like Nehemiah, you don't sort of aspire to the vision Jesus has for your life. It's all in. You don't sort of parachute. You parachute. You jump in. You either do it or you don't. Nehemiah's vision it had a clear sacrifice, clear commitment, a demonstration of his commitment others could see. That's when people can see your heart, the way they saw Nehemiah's heart. Man, this is a man who's living his vision. And I imagine that for the Bend Church, disciples who are becoming like Jesus, living their vision, other people in the world seeing our heart because of that seeing how much we want to meet the needs in this community. I think that's powerful when we are living the vision. It's so powerful for Nehemiah. Others could see him living it. It, it, it silenced them, you know? He says, hey, I'm, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. He's committed to it. He had a lot of critics, but they couldn't speak against what he was doing because he was actually doing it. Same thing for us, when, when people can see your heart, they can disagree with your position, but it's difficult to disagree with the lived out conviction, right? With, with somebody who's daring greatly, with somebody who's in the arena. And Nehemiah dared greatly. He lived and breathed the vision. It gave him, as well as him just being a righteous man, a, a moral authority in his life because he was living the vision. Makes me think of a modern day example for us, just Kelly Boyd over in Eugene. Having a moral authority, I believe, yes, because he's a righteous man, but also he's living a vision. He's taking his go-to truck out there every week. He's meeting the needs of the community. He's feeding the homeless. And now 
because Kelly moved to Eugene five years ago, so let's plant house churches around Oregon. There's a house church in Salem, Corvallis, Bend, things other people couldn't even imagine five years ago. Because Kelly said, I know God has a heart for these people in these cities, and we need to get to them, and I want to match that heart, become who I need to be to match that. And Kelly prays about that every morning, thinks about that, lives that every day. And I know there's times, just like Nehemiah, where Kelly's been incredibly criticized for that vision, sometimes even by disciples, sometimes by righteous men, for good reason, probably. I know there's times when Kelly probably feels very alone in that vision. And I think anyone who lives vision will have times of being criticized, times of feeling alone. But amen, there's a great many who help Kelly in that. And I think there's a great many who are attracted to vision because of its moral authority, because there's something attractive about that person in the arena that I don't think they'll remain alone forever. For Central Oregon, imagine, I think what God originates, he orchestrates. You know, when we, we climb up the mountains here and we turn around, we, we can see everything that we missed on the way up. And we can see, you know, on the way up, we just see these false summits and it's challenging. And we go, man, how can we ever do it? It's such a big obstacle. But then we get to the top and we look down and we go, oh, look, there's a glacier. There's a lake. I didn't see that. Wow, I didn't see that over there. Same thing with vision. It's very tough to think about vision looking forward at all the needs and challenges. It's stuff that only God can do. But when we look back, we can see everything that God has done. We can look back down the mountain. And for me, that's one of the greatest ways of contextualizing that vision of beginning to plan for here in Central Oregon is when we start to look back. You know, Roy said it to me this morning, oh, you should have bought your house in 2019 because then you'd have more equity. <laughs> well, we did start the church in 2019 <laughs> and we do have vision equity because of what the Holy Spirit has already done in you and in the church here in Central Oregon. The Holy Spirit's already doing stuff and we can see where the Holy Spirit's been fruitful and work with that. You know, we once had a campus ministry here in Bend. We're sharing our faith on campus every day, running around over there, lunchtime Bible talks, guests coming out to church from campus. We once had Singles Brothers household here in Bend. We once had a worship leader and a worship team practicing every week. We once had 21 disciples here. And I believe what the Holy Spirit orchestrated previously here, he can do again. And all of, all of that, the Holy Spirit orchestrated and was unimaginable. It was beyond some of my wildest prayers for what the church would be doing here in the first year in Bend, Oregon. I'm, so proud of everybody who was a part of that. You know, even regionally, previously in our Oregon, Montana, Idaho, four or five years ago, we had one, if not two, campus interns in every city with a campus ministry. And now there's only two campus ministers over in Eugene, in Oregon, Montana, Idaho. And many of those churches currently do not have a campus ministry. 
but the Holy Spirit's done it before, and I think the Holy Spirit can do more than we can even imagine in Oregon, Montana, and Idaho. Holy Spirit's done so much. I think the Holy Spirit wants to work on COCC. I think the Holy Spirit wants to work in Oregon, Montana, Idaho, wants to work in Redmond now that we have disciples here. I believe the, the Holy Spirit wants us to have 21 disciples again, 21 and 21. And amen, even beyond that, I know he has a heart for more disciples here. To have an active campus ministry, to have engaged young professionals, to have a kid's kingdom someday, a marriage outreach, an online ministry, a, a bend go-to truck, a teen ministry, a, a future church board with disciples who are being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. Jesus wants to do so much with this family and meeting the needs of this community. But Jesus is searching for church planters. Who's going to go and plant COCC? Who's going to, to plant the marriage outreach? Who's going to plant the online ministry in different areas? And I think that's the way the Holy Spirit and Jesus needs us to be thinking, rather than when can we go from saying we're planters to planted. He's looking for those who are going to sow the seeds and plant. He's searching for planters. And that's what I invite everybody into, is you hear that, becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus did. How do you refine and contextualize that vision for you? How does the Holy Spirit want you to meet those needs? So if God paints a picture on your heart in refining that vision, I think in time you'll, you'll feel it as a moral imperative. You'll have an obedience to it that compels you to take action. You say, I can't help myself. Man, this is what Jesus sees for me. I'm, I'm a disciple and Jesus has a vision that I can become who I need to be to see this vision come true. I can be transformed. I can have his heart in whatever area that is to seek and save the lost, to send workers in the harvest, to care for the sick, to set the captives free. But what is it specifically to you? Like Nehemiah, what heart-wrenching need in the kingdom and the Bend community do you see that Jesus can help you with to overcome your fear in and to meet that need for his glory? What a planter plants, he harvests. What he sows to please the spirit, the spirit will reap in his life. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus did. What is Jesus calling you to plant for his kingdom, for his church? So March 17th, we'll probably talk about vision again because vision leaks. We got to repeat it and refine it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. It would mean so much to us if you were to leave us a review and a rating for our podcast so that this message can reach others. Thank you.